0: So we've been looking the last few weeks in chapter 19, which tells us of the actual appearing of Jesus Christ to the whole the world, coming from the sky and with His armies, that's us and some Old Testament saints, coming down to earth, defeating the devil, uh, defeating the beast, false prophet, and the armies that assemble against Him, and He's called the one on the horse. And he defeats him with his word while they have all their weapons pointed at him. The Lord Jesus Christ with us on his side will defeat the beast, the Antichrist. And we're going to see here here in chapter 20 that the devil is going to be temporarily, like 1,000 years temporarily, confined to the bottomless pit. We're going to read a little bit about the millennium. And again, I I just hope it encourages you tonight. We're going to look in chapter 20, verses 1 to 10. Chapter 20, verses 1 to 10 is, again, uh, John's description here as it's revealed to him of the millennial reign of Christ. Here we go, chapter 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received His mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with Him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them." And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. As I look at this passage, it reminds me of some different kingdoms that have been on this earth. Different reigns of kings. There's been different empires. You know, there's been the British Empire. The sun never sets, as they said. Some people think the Americans have an empire. I don't know about that. Um, There's been the the Roman Empire, different empires. Then there's been different kings that have reigned a long time. Tell me, anybody know some famous kings that just come to your mind? Who's a famous king? Raise your hand. Tell me. Noah. Solomon's a famous, famous king, glorious. He is a shadow of what happens in the millennium, which is of Jesus Christ. Calder, who's a famous king? king George. Who? King George. king George. Okay, yeah, I think we were trying to get away from that guy, but he was famous. Huh? Yes. David was a famous king. Yep. Seamus. Saul. Saul was a famous king. Kind of had his little deal there. King Tut. Yeah. I just think they finally discovered him about 150 years ago or something. Uh, some British explorers. Listen, you know the longest reigning king uh, that they can confirm, the longest reigning king of a sovereign state is said to be King Louis XIV of France. Now, most of us Americans, when we sing any, hear about anybody in France, we're just like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the fries. Anyways, no, <laughs> that's how we Americans are. But no, listen to this. King Louis XIV of France... Now, after I describe him to you, you're not going to like him. But he reigned, he lived from 1638 to 1715. He reigned from 1643 to 1715. That's 72 years, and they counted, 110 days. He reigned 72 years and 110 days. Again, it is said to be the longest reign of any monarch of a sovereign country. He became, and I, I learned some things, he became one of the most powerful monarchs in Europe. In fact, he caused France to basically be a, a, a dominant force in Europe at that, and during his time. He established an absolute monarchy. You know what that is, right? There's monarchies where the king's you know, pretty much in control, but he's, he has some checks and balances from somebody else. King Louis was absolute in fact, one time he said, I am the state. I mean, that's like a, a Nebuchadnezzar inside of France, really. That's how Nebuchadnezzar was, an absolute monarch. So he, was, he enforced one religion on France, a version of the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church, a, a type of that. He forced many Protestants, which would include some Baptists and Separatists, to immigrate or convert and he virtually destroyed the French Protestant community during his reign. During his long reign, France, though, became the leading European power and regularly asserted its military strength. I mean, he caused France to flex its muscles. The Palace of Versailles became a capital, and he made it very glorious. Have anybody ever seen the Palace of Versailles? You can see pictures of it. It's really impressive, and it was impressive in his day. The court and uh, the buildings and everything like that, he established an elaborate court ritual. Now, imagine, again, a king. He's glorious, and he's one of these guys that has the long, curly hair. I don't know what's up with that. But anyways, it's fake, of course. And, um, and they usually, the paintings of him are usually exaggerated. You know, he looks really tall, but I doubt if he was that tall. But he has this long, long, I don't know, something hair, you know, white, curly hair, his wig. That's weird. anyways. He established a, an elaborate court ritual <laughs> where the king became the center of attention. Oh, by the way, I didn't tell you, his nicknames. And he was serious. This, wasn't, this was like, he was called Louis the Great. And he was also called the Sun King. That is, because everything revolved around him. They literally, he literally had that mentality in his court and his government. Everything revolved around him. And so he established this um, certain court ritual in, his, in Versailles by the palace there where he was observed, where he became the center of attention, was observed throughout by the public throughout the day. With his excellent memory, Louis would walk about and he would notice who attended his court and who was watching him and who he'd know who was absent, and he'd take note of it. And by, the, by that knowledge, that would facilitate his decision on distributing favors and positions in his, in, his, uh, you know, in his reign and in his palace. Another tool that he used to control people, to control the nobility of his land, was censorship, which involved him looking in. He had the op- people's letters opened, and they wanted to discern what the author was saying, and what the author's opinion of the government and of him was. Also, by entertaining and impressing people and domesticating with them, with domesticating them with extravagant luxury and other distractions, Louis not only cultivated the public opinion of himself, he ensured that aristocracy remained under his scrutiny. In other words, he tried to get control of all facets of the society. And he did for a while. And then later on, you know, when he was gone, they, some years later, French Revolution, and, and that even wasn't that pretty. But he, had, he was, had a very powerful reign and thought himself glorious, thought himself the great, and thought himself the sun king. But here, when we look in the Bible here, we see we're coming to a passage where we're we're introduced to a lengthy reign, not 72 years, but 1,000. That's what millennium means. And a pervasive reign where the influence of Jesus Christ is pervading the earth. And a glorious reign, more glorious and not to be outdone by any other king that's ever ever existed. So John, what we want to know is what is John, how does John reveal this to us? And so let's look at that tonight. Let's just take note here how John reveals to us the millennium. We're going to see there's a reprieve. Then we're going to see there's a rain. There's a couple of resurrections. There's a release of Satan, and there's a removal of Satan forever. Those are the kind of the headings of what we're looking at. Number one, as we consider the Bible, we consider the millennial reign of Christ, the first thing that we see in the millennial reign, and it's good news, is the reprieve, a 1,000-year reprieve from Satan's influence. I said 1,000-year reprieve from Satan's influence on the world. And we should say, Amen! Looking forward to that. He bothers us. He's our adversary, and all of his uh, demons are. Notice the Bible there. It says, on I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, verse 1 says. And a great chain in his hand. This reprieve involves an angel taking hold of Satan. God's angels taking hold of the most powerful angel. God commands one of His angels to go and take control of the most powerful wicked angel, Satan. When God authorizes something, it's as good as done. He said, go get Satan and take hold of him. The Bible says right there, how do we get this reprieve from Satan? God authorizes it from one of his angels, takes hold of Satan. He has a key to the bottomless pit. Look what it says, verse 2. What does this angel do? He lays hold on the dragon. The dragon is a spirit, and he can manifest himself, I suppose, physically. Satan is a spirit. He's an evil spirit, but he's laid hold on by another one. He's called the dragon. He's called the old serpent. He's called the devil, verse 2. He's called Satan and bound him a thousand years. You know what Satan is doing now to people? Binding them. He wants them in drugs. He wants them in sin. He wants them in pornography. He wants them in alcohol and addictions, and he wants them blinded by false religions and false gospels. He He is binding people right now. He's binding people's thoughts. He wants your mind to be bound and chained in a certain route of thinking. He wants your decisions to... He is binding people. Now he's going to get bound and tied in chains. It's going to be a reprieve. The angel is initiated in this. There's also a confinement here. Notice the angel takes him and binds him a thousand years. Look what he does verse 3. He casts him what? Into the bottomless pit. Solitary confinement. Solitary confinement. Yep. Bottomless pit somewhere. There's no bottom to it. All by himself, I don't know what he's thinking about. Maybe he's recalling the day he was created and it was glorious. Maybe he's recalling the time that he thought himself proud and was going to be like God. Maybe he's recalling how he was kicked out of heaven. Maybe he's recalling how he he deceived Adam and Eve and been wreaking havoc on the earth ever since. I don't know, but he's going to be bound for a thousand years. That'll be a reprieve for us. Notice it'll be a reprieve for the world. Notice verse 3, why is he bound? that he should, look at the middle of verse 3, that he should deceive the nations no more. That he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. But wait a second, that means he must be doing something right now then. He's deceiving the nations right now because there's going to come a day he's going to be bound he's not going to be able to deceive. Oh, he's doing something right now. He's deceiving nations. How? How is Satan deceiving nations? He's causing them to think maybe they're embracing false religions, you know, false gospels, false forms of government, even, false philosophies. He's deceiving the nations. He's t- he, you know, he is greatly deceiving our dear people in North Korea. They have a and, and I'm not just picking on them, but there's they have a mind do you know a lot of North Koreans think their leader is basically a god? And the leader thinks he's basically a god. And there's a strange type of religion there, and he's deceiving those nations. He's deceiving people in Japan who follow these other traditional religions. He's deceiving people in the Muslim countries. He's deceiving people in the communist countries that think, well, it's just up to us. We just need to make it work. There is no God. He's deceiving people in dominant Catholic countries. He's deceiving people in this country who think if we only had the right political formula, everything would be great. Oh, that's a deception. Man's best is going to simply be clay feet, and Jesus' rock is going to crush it when he comes. That's what Daniel's image teaches us. He's deceiving the nations. He's deceiving people in these bigger ways and smaller ways, but he's not going to do it anymore. So think about it. Jesus comes back. He defeats the beast and the Antichrist. He, Satan's put in his solitary confinement, and Jesus starts his kingdom. And there won't—now, you're going to see what happens at the end. There's not going to be Satan's presence. If anybody's deceived, it's not going to be from Satan. The deceptions removed out of the way, that, that makes a lot of things better in life when you remove deceptions. I mean, I know in the teen class, Brother uh, Dylan's been trying to teach the teens a few things he's learning about the concept of Satan teaching, it, telling us lies and removing that and replacing it with truth. And it's been such a blessing to him for his Christian life to just get a hold of that concept. What is Satan lying to me about? and switching his thinking, and it's been a blessing to him. Did you see right here? This is a big deal. This will make life better to get the deceiver out of the way and keep telling us lies. And so we're going to get a reprieve from Satan. The only way to a peaceful utopia is to bring Christ in as king and remove Satan as the counterfeit. Him. So, number two, so there's a, con- what is the millennium about? Well, it's about a reprieve from Satan's presence. Number two, what is the millennium about? John teaches us it's about a reign. It's about a reign of, we'll see, of, of Christ's saints and of Christ himself. The focus in verse four is a lot of it is on his saints. It's a reign, number two, of Christ with his saints. Notice, I saw thrones and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. We'll stop right there. There's a lot of Bible study we could do just with that. How do we reign? The apostles are said that they're going to be judging the tribes of Israel. There's a verse where Paul says, we're going to be judging angels? There's a lot of stuff we could take off on and imagine and even study the Bible on. But there's going to be some reigning of Christ's saints on the earth. We know the apostles are going to have a focus on Israel. And we're going to have some other kind of reigning. There's a reign, and there's a reign in res- of those who were martyred. Notice, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark in their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. I want you to notice this is purposely said. It's said that people are reigning with Jesus on thrones. And then it takes a lot of words to describe a special group Who is that group we just read about? The people during the seven-year reign who said no to the reign of the Antichrist and the benefits it would get if they caved into him. They said no to those benefits, economic, financial, social. They said no and suffered and even were beheaded. And it purposely singles out and says, you know what? They lived in reign too. They get resurrected in a new body and they live and reign with Jesus Christ also. I want you to listen to what one commentator said. It is interesting that those who wanted a temporal and immediate benefits during the tribulation compromised and received the mark of the beast so they can go about their business. But those who did not receive the mark of the beast suffered for it and died. But they had the benefits of living and reigning with Christ a thousand years by virtue of their faith in Christ. The devil in this life... Wants to give you immediate benefits now, but the consequences may be huge later. But God wants you to wait and stand and gives you greater, long-lasting benefits later. Singles them out. those special group. We're in there, too, where I think we're encompassed in that first phrase of verse 4. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And it says, with Christ. The end of verse 4. He's reigning too. He's, he's reigning, and we get to be with him. And then number three, what else? What's this resur- What is this millennium? Number three, it's about a resurrection, too. At the beginning and at the end, after the millennium's up, there's a resurrection. There's two resurrections: the first resurrection and the second resurrection, which involves a second death. The millennium, number 3, we see from verse 5 and 6, is about a couple of resurrections. Notice verse 5. But the rest of the dead lived not again till the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So what he's saying, what John is saying, he says, I saw Jesus come down. He defeated all the the foes of, of, of the Antichrist and Antichrist himself and then Satan's put in solitary confinement, and Jesus is reigning with his, his own and with the martyrs during the tribulation. And, um, but, and, and the, those martyrs of the tribulation were resurrected. And he says, but the rest of those dead, they, they didn't, what does it say? They didn't live again until the thousand years were finished. So, so somebody else is going to get resurrected. And then he says, this is the first resurrection, referring back to this good group. This is the first resurrection. So there's a first resurrection and a second resurrection. I want you to watch this. There's actually three phases to the first resurrection. Christ, the first fruits. They that are Christ at His coming. And then these martyrs right here. We all encompass in those three phases the first resurrection group. Again, I say 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus first is resurrected and then they that are Christ at His coming, we are resurrected. And then this tribulation saints that were martyred. They get resurrected. So we, those groups right there, are going to go into the millennium with glorified bodies. That's us. We're going into the millennium with glorified bodies, that first resurrection. Notice the descriptions of it. Look at, all right, the, uh, verse, this is the first resurrection. Look at verse 6. Blessed, oh yeah, and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such a second death hath no power. See, what's going to happen, follow me, we are going to come into the millennium with Jesus. We're coming down from heaven. Glorified bodies. There's other the, These other um, martyrs have glorified bodies. There's going to be other living tribulation saints at the end of the tribulation. They're living, and they're going to go from tribulation to millennium in their still Adamic body. But they're coming in because they're a believer. And so throughout the millennium, we're going to have the glorified saints, but there's going to be populated by people who still can have children, have babies, and that's what is going to explain the problem at the end of the millennium. But here we are. We're part of that first resurrection. Let's think about the words here. What does it say about it? Verse 6, On such the second death hath no power. You know, the, the first death, what, has power on us. We're going to die the second death has no power. The second death is this. First death is all of our bodies are going gonna to die, and we, we get a new body. The second death is when you die, your, your soul goes to hell. And then at the end of this chapter, it talks about the soul coming back to God. The body's coming back with that soul. They're judged out of the, book of, the books, and they go to hell. That's a second death. It doesn't have any power on us. Is the emphasis here? Not gonna happen to me. I'm passed from death into life. Wow. The second death hath no power. People, you know, people are concerned about the vaccine. Some are concerned that they'd never get it because it can harm them. Others are concerned that they need to get it because it'll protect them. Whatever. We have both opinions here, and we're gonna get along that way, by the way. Uh, but sometimes you wanna get, oh, I gotta get this. I gotta get inoculated so I don't get something, you know. And they fail sometimes, right? Sometimes man's medicine fails, man's vaccines failed, and we're still not necessarily immune from things. You know, I try, I try. I had these little allergy problems before. Man, I've tried all the goofy stuff. Uh, I do know a little basic, a few basic things that help me, and it involves my diet, and that's why it's hard. Ugh. But anyways, you know, there's little. I thought, well, I know what it is. I need to have all. I need to put honey in everything. and That'll fix it. And then what's the what's the stuff the the about honey, the hard stuff? What is it? Huh? Bee pollen. I tried that, man. I was putting in stuff. I was still stuffy. I was just, am I allergic to this? I mean, what is it? I don't know. I've tried all kinds of things, you know. It's still, I thought I was going to be immune, but the allergy still had power on me, <laughs> you know. And I am I am open to other ideas still, you know, as long as it doesn't mean getting rid of chocolate. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but... Uh, So here we have, what is happening here? It's saying, all right, Satan's bound, yay. People, Christ and his people are reigning, yay. There's a resurrection at the beginning. There's another one at the end. The resurrection at the beginning, yay. (laughs) We're in new bodies. We can't be corrupted again. I love, what is it, Philippians 3.21? It says, uh, you know, who shall change our vile body. You think your body's glorious? It's vile. He shall change our vile body that it may be likened unto His glorious body. Now that's a glorious body, is Jesus Christ. And once we have that resurrection of the body, no death, second death has no power on me. Whoa, that should create gratitude and thankfulness. God, I'm, I'm saved, forever saved. Wow. I'm forever immune in that way. And then it says, notice again, this this first resurrection, rather. Second death hath no power. Look what else it says in verse 6 at the end. But they shall be priests of God. Wow, we're intervening somehow for God and of Christ. And look at the last phrase of verse 6. And shall what? Reign with Him a thousand years. What does that mean? Somehow we're going to be given different places of responsibility and jobs to do. And we'll reign with Him. But again, there is a second death that was described there. There's a first one, and after the thousand years, we see the second one. So that's the, the, what is the millennium about? It's about a resurrection, number three. Number four, it's about also a release of Satan afterwards. There's a release of Satan. Look at verse 7 and 8. Remember, we said Satan was down in a bottomless pit, right? And they set a seal on him, and God said, when I'm ready for you, I'll come get you again. And it says he was released, look at verse uh, 7, when the thousand years were expired, so we get a full 1,000 years, one full 1,000 1, years with the Lord Jesus Christ's perfect ruling. And it says, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, verse 8, look at verse 8, and what will Satan do? Go out to deceive the nations that are which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. There's so much thought here. I want to read how one guy put it. This one Bible believer here, this commentator has been helpful. Listen to how he describes this scenario. It says, and when the thousand years were expired, are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Listen to what, his name's John Phillips. He says, imagine the fury of the evil one In his cramped cell, picture a mighty jungle lion caged in solitary confinement when suddenly the door of the cage is thrown open. With a mighty bound, the beast leaps forth, shaking his mighty mane and roaring until the mountains shake with furious lashings of his tail. He glares around looking for something or someone on which to vent his rage. Thus Satan does. He bursts forth from his pit. He has lost none of his cunning with the passing of years. He knows exactly what to do. For a thousand years, he has plotted his revenge. Men are still men, and sin is still sin. And he well knows how to bring the two together. He will have one final fling he will strike out at both god and man he will make a mockery of this millennium and show and show it up as just another pious fraud he is back and his and sin is once more he is back and sin once more can blaze up in human hearts the kindling is there stacked and dry and he has the fire that's referring to people in not the glorified bodies i want you to this is another thought here Some of us remember Dr. Flanders who's preached at our church before. He's doing evangelism work. Here's what he says. He's got some study notes on this. I want you to consider what he says here. He says, probably the reason, first of all, he says, Satan will be bound in hell for some time, but God plans to let him loose for a time at the end of the millennium. Probably the reason God will free him to work again in the world is to demonstrate, listen to this, that environment has not been the reason for man's sinfulness. For a thousand years, man will have a perfect environment on, church, on earth. Jesus Christ in person will reign as king over all the earth. The devil will be absent from the scene, deceiving no one. Righteousness will prevail, and yet after a millennium of the kingdom of God, Satan will be able to organize a multitude, quote, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea, to rebel against the rule of Christ. Who will these rebels be? When the kingdom begins, the nations will be judged by Jesus, and only true believers will be allowed to live past the tribulation of the millennium these folks will have natural bodies although changes in the world will allow them to live longer because that's going to happen although changes in the world will allow them to live to great ages Isaiah 65 20 to 25 the saints will be glo- the saints in glorified bodies will reign over them with Christ these spared nations will give birth to children during the kingdom age and their children will need to trust Christ for salvation as they grew up Obviously, many of those born in the millennium will not believe after a while and will be ready to fight against the Lord when the devil comes back. We can read about this final rebellion in Psalm 2. It will come, though, because man himself is innately sinful in his natural body, because he can choose evil even when his environment has been good. Did you get that? We think if we have the perfect environment, everybody's going to act perfectly. But even if... When Jesus Christ comes to reign, there'll be a a number of people that are not totally perfect bodies, and they're going to choose. Once the devil shows up on the scene, the kindling is there, and the Satan lights the fire of rebellion against them. And it says there, look what it says there. They're called Gog and Magog. I think it's recalling a battle that's going to happen involving Russia and Iran in the tribulation time. It's going to be similar to that. I think that's why they call it that. And then it says, so that's the release of Satan. He releases, number four, it's about a release of Satan. He gathers up these nations that are going to rebel against God. And then also after the millennium, last point of all, is there's a removal of Him and God's enemies forever. Look at verse 9 and 10. They went up on the, again, another futile battle here. They went up on the breath of the earth, verse 9 says, and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. This is referring to Jerusalem and however we are, camped around there they camped (laughs) this is futile all right here we go again here's the Lord Jesus Christ has been reigning from Jerusalem for a thousand years and we're with them and all the rebels are rallied around by Satan after a thousand years are expired they come and we're gonna fight against them they're camping it about and poof they're gone again flash with a flash it's done Men are eviscerated, their bodies are. Look what it says, fire came down from God out of heaven at the end of verse 9 and devoured them, that is their bodies. Verse 10, there's also not just a flash, but there's a cast. Notice verse 10, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan. So that is is the last time we hear from Satan right there. It's it. That's it. No more Satan. He's conscientiously existing still, unannihilated, but that's where he's at. Man has a... We have a great... We have the Lord Jesus Christ's kingdom to look forward to. That's going to be the perfect one. You know... I was thinking about this with this uh, King Louis. (laughs) King Louis, we'll wrap up on this couple thoughts here. He was, again, called himself the great, called himself the sun god. He called himself, I am the state, I am the government. And he still died. And he still seemed very insecure and egocentric. He had a magnificent court in a magnificent reign, but he still died. But I want you to know what happened when he died at his funeral. It's interesting. In 1715, after 72 years and 110 days, he died. Soon after that, just, they, had, they arranged his funeral. And just as his reign was glorious, they wanted to make sure his funeral was glorious, and he wanted to make sure his funeral was glorious. So here's what happened. There was a Catholic bishop, and I'm not going to... This Catholic bishop does something good. That doesn't mean I endorse him. But there was a Catholic bishop named Jean-Baptiste Massillon. I like his middle name. That's a good one. Jean-Baptiste Massillon. And he was a French Catholic bishop, a famous preacher for their circles. And he presided over this funeral. So this is a huge funeral for the longest reigning king, in modern times that we know of here. So, there at the cathedral, his body lay in a golden coffin. My kids were asking me, Dad, what do you want to do? I said, just put me in a pine box, I'm fine with that, you know. He has a golden coffin here. The orders were given at this funeral that the cathedral, that this large cathedral, I don't know which one it was, should be very dimly lit to create this Um, dramatization of his coffin. Everything else dimly lit and have this candle, a special candle set above his coffin to dramatize his greatness, his deadness greatness, I guess. So they have it, all the people around, thousands waited in a hushed silence watching at this funeral and this bishop comes up. The first words he says as he comes up as everybody's watching and listening. This one candle there right above it. Bishop Maslon comes up, he, gan- he begins to speak, he slowly reaches down, grabs a candle and snuffs it out and he says, God only is great, as he snuffs out that candle. And what a great way to end that guy's a thought, uh, uh, what a great way to start his funeral, is to realize God only is great. Men come and go, men are as, a, as, as grass and as flower and we have our little measures of greatness that we measure by ourselves but God only is great and we're going to see that in truth we should see it now we're going to realize it in fullness when Jesus Christ comes he is great that's a great administration that's a great policy that's a great rule that's a great statement and he's our great savior that's the most important part God only is great and we're going to get to experience that That's why we're supposed to pray, thy kingdom come, is to look forward to that. Until then, let's let him reign in our hearts.